right, turn your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Let's get into the Word of God. Yeah. All right, stand with your feet. Stand to your feet. <laughs> I guess you could stand with your hands. Stand to your feet in reverence to God's holy word. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I, re I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many uh, from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. <clears throat> For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and uh, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. <clears throat> well, let's take a look at some of the truths taught here in Malachi chapter 2. And this may seem a little far off if you're not very familiar with the Bible or if you're not super familiar with how the Old Testament truths and principles and historical stories apply to, to our day and time and how they relate to us and how they're applicable or applied to us as New Covenant believers uh, but I don't think uh, that it's too hard to see how these things uh, apply to us and what we can learn from them. 
The first is, is that we need to understand that there is a historical context here. There is a historical part of this uh, piece that we need to understand, and we just need to learn, and we need to grasp the concepts that's being laid out before us. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 2, and let's just see how far we get. The first thing uh, he says here is he says in verse 1, And now, O priest, this command is for you. First thing we see here is the uh, recipients of this book, this part of the book, this part of the letter that's being written, this, this part of the record. And he's writing to the priests that were doing the priestly duties in the temple and the ones who were overseeing the sacrifices and the ritualistic observance of the people. So it's not super far removed from what's going on here, although there is greater application, I believe, and we'll get to that in just a second. But what he's saying here is that this command I'm giving to the one who is overseeing the ones who are overseeing the worship of God in the gathering of God's people, in the uh, prescribed method by which they were to worship God, by which they were to come before God. I'm talking to those guys who's supposed to be leading the people, who's supposed to be protecting the people, who's supposed to be giving instruction and guarding against wrong teaching, wrong practice, and so on and so forth. So we see here, now you may say, well, I'm not the pastor, I'm not the leader, so this really doesn't apply to me. I'll show you why the principles found here absolutely apply to you when we get to texts such as 1 Peter 3, 9, where we find through the Lord Jesus Christ that we, as God's people, are a royal priesthood. So this is absolutely applied to everyone here, but in the context that we're in right now, he's speaking to the priests that were making offerings and sacrifices in the temple. He says, and now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. He's saying, I'm going to send a curse on you, and I'm going to curse what's right now, your blessings. And so we're going to get into in just a second that he's speaking to the, Le the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi. And if you know much of church history or Old Testament history, you understand that the, uh, the, the, the Levitical priesthood would come through the line of Aaron. And the promise that God made to Levi and to this tribe was that they would, the, the priesthood would rest with Levi and his descendants and that they didn't, they didn't even get any land proportioned to them in the land promises. But what was their promise? What was their provision? Instead of land, what did they get? All the people would come together and they would tithe to them. They would take care of them. Theirs would be the priesthood, that they would get the right and the honor of the go-between between God and his people and that the tenth you've heard of the tithe okay that the tenth and, and many other things but the tenth would be for the temple for the Levites that they would be taken care of by the other tribes and uh, that they would have God as their portion that they would have relationship with God, that they would have a special bond with God, that they would be the mediators, the, the intercessors, the high priests between God 
and his people. God himself said he would be their inheritance. They didn't need land inheritance. And so he's talking here, he's saying that these blessings, these tithes, these offerings, this care that you got from me, and I would even go so far as to say this special interaction that you have with me is going to become a curse on you when at once it was a blessing. And we're going to see how that applies to us here in just a moment too. He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. He's flipping it on them. And I would just say one moment here for a principle teaching is this, is that quite often those things that God has given us as a blessing turn into curses when we don't understand that they were an actual blessing. You see, when you start, and remember back in chapter 1 where he's saying that you're coming and bringing offerings and sacrifices before me, but what you're saying in your heart is, what a burden, and you snort at it. Is that a snort? I don't snort very well. I snort in my heart, I'm sure, from time to time. He says, you snort at, at, at the opportunity that I've given you to minister to uh, to me and to minister for me you you say what a burden this is such a burden and you snort at it you scoff at it and he's saying because this great blessing this what was a blessing because you've scoffed at it and because you've not understood the 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 value of it then it's turned around on you and it's bit you it's become a curse not because the thing was a curse in and of itself but because of your hard-heartedness and your flesh does that sound familiar maybe Romans chapter 8 that the, what the law could not do weakened as it was through the flesh. Remember, the law of God is perfect. The law wasn't the problem. It was our desire to build ourselves up and keep ourselves as God is why the law bit us. As Forrest Gump would say, it bit me, right? It will bite you, right? It's a good thing, but it will bite you. No, that's the British thing. I'm talking about when the bullet jumped up and bit him in the buttocks. They said that was a million-dollar wound, but he never saw none of that money. I guess the government kept it. But anyway, uh, you remember he was carrying above and he said, something bit me, right? Anyway, where was I? <laughs> Thanks, babe. Really appreciate that. So where was I for real? Huh? Y'all like 18 people talking at one time. What is this? Blessings turn into curses. Good job, Angela. All right. So it, the bottom line is, is that these good things turned around and got them. They bit them. That's why I went. That's what happened there. The blessings became curses. And then he goes on to say, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. You see how these things are a heart issue. Well, I want to speed up a little bit. I think we've seen some of this. And so what we need to understand, though, is that the, the Levitical priesthood in this moment in time, you remember Nehemiah and Ezra, they've already come back. They've built the wall. The temple's been reestablished. Ezra read the book. They found the book of the law, and they read the book, and they knew what they were supposed to be doing. They knew these blessings, but their heart was in a bad spot. And because their heart was in a bad spot, this good word, this wonderful word from the Lord became a curse to them, and it, and it brought down curses and, and struggles for them. He goes on. He says, Behold, I, re I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. I will put doo-doo on your face and dung on your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Okay? Uh, this is weird. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird. 
but I think if you understand the context here, so when they would bring the offerings in, everybody knows, well, I don't know if everybody knows, but I know there's a ton of paramedics and police officers in the room. I'm not sure if many of you are aware of this, but quite oftentimes, whether it's a human being or whether it's an animal, when a being loses its life, its breath, then it'll oftentimes lose its, its because right now every one of you would poop on yourself, but you're holding it back through muscles that are contracting and you don't even know it. You understand that? And so when you would make sacrifices, when this little graphic, this little graphic, well, the Bible's a graphic, so there you go. When you would slit the goat's throat in order to make the sacrifice, or whether you were bringing whatever sacrifice you were making, well, when that animal died, all of its bowels and its constricting muscles holding its, its bile in, its, its, its dung in, would release and there would be poop everywhere, right? It oftentimes happens in a car accident or something like that. You'll go in and there'll be a, they'll, they'll have that accident and another accident. And, and it's just, it's, it, is, it is a disgusting picture. And I think the Bible paints it that way on purpose. And that in this culture, in this time, like we don't like to talk about poop in our culture either, right? But in this, it would have been like the, vile, the, the disgusting nature. It would have been uncleanliness, uncleanl right? It would have been unclean, right? And so this is like the most disgusting picture that God himself could paint to show you just how disgusting it is when you're bringing these horrible, worthless, half-hearted sacrifices. He says, because you, what is it? What is it, Marcus? Okay, I said poop. It's okay, man. We're all adults in here. No, I just, <laughs> not every one of us. My, the, the, the crazy thing is his mom's beside him. She's laughing just as hard. Come on, mama, you got to set the tone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The picture here is of a disgusting nature of when we bring half-hearted sacrifices and worship to God. It is disgusting. And he says, this has, this has disgusted me, and I am going to reveal the disgusting nature of this by smearing the the." poop on your face and then when he goes on you might not have caught this either i was just reading some commentaries and it brought this out i thought it was pretty cool it says that so shall you know let's say behold i will rebuke your offspring spread dung on their faces which was the most prominent visible place so everybody could see just who you actually are so you know what he's saying i am going to point you out for who you actually are isn't that scary that's scary because even in the modern church today church is one of the easiest places to hide right so you go into church thinking that everything's all good and you're here just because you want a good place to hide and what i mean by that is is that you can you think you can convince everybody that everything is okay and that you're perfectly fine because you're here at church every sunday but you're just hiding you're putting on a mask and god is like no you're going to be revealed and i'm going to show everybody who you actually are oh my goodness that would be that's scary so but listen to what he says and spread dung on your faces, the dung on your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So what would happen is, is that they would come in, they would have the sacrifices in the temple, they would do their work with God, they would, uh, they would follow the rituals, and they would follow all the specs of how it was told to be done. And in the process of this, remember, they had to, this was a disgustingly brutal worship service, right? So they would come in, the, the, the uh, Yom, Kippur, Yom Kippur was this, the Day of Atonement was this crazy, brutal, nasty 
dirty. So you had this animal that you would that you would kill it and you would take its blood and you would throw it all over the holy of holies. Blood would be everywhere. Their feces would be running. And, and all of this was to paint the picture of the bloody, gruesome, violent, nasty, disgusting death that Christ would have to, to, to die because he took on your sin. And the whole picture is that that's what sin deserves is a bloody, nasty, disgusting treatment because that's what it is to deny the living God. And so we see this, and so they would have to clean up all these, these this big piles of, of dung and feces and urine and blood and guts that had been, that been poured out in the temple, and they would have to carry it out of the city. They would have to carry it out of the temple. That's what it says here. It says, says the Lord, it says, uh, uh, it says, and spread dung on their faces, dung on their offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So they would gather all of this up, and they would take it way far out of the city because it would, I mean, at the time, I'm sure it smelled horrible. But give those blood and guts and organs about seven hours in the sun, two or three hours in the sun, much less a day or two, and you talking about ripe? Oh, my goodness. So they would carry that far out of the city. What he's saying right here, you're going with it. That's the type of offense that we level toward God when we bring a half-hearted offering. That's the type of, that's how God feels about you holding back and only giving him a portion of who you are, okay? So the first point, if I had a point here, and I even made these kind of uh, match here, homiletics, we were talking about that earlier, Chad. So putrid priests is the first section here that we're looking at are the putrid priests, okay? Because it's just this vile, disgusting act. And these are supposed to be the men God had selected to lead his people, to instruct his people, and to guide his people. And here we see them doing these foul and corrupt things, and we, it is revealed to us what God really thinks about it in a disgusting way. Number five, uh, verse five, my covenant with him, talking about Levi, my covenant with him, let's go back to verse four, I skipped that one, hold on, we need verse four. Verse four, so shall you know, by all of this, what I just described, so shall you know that, that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And what's the covenant with Levi? Go back to what we were talking about earlier. We find this in Numbers uh, chapter 3, chapter 18, chapter 25. We see this covenant with Levi that God would bless him, that God would be with him, that he would be God's spokesperson, that he would experience the presence of God and he would be the channel through which the presence of God would flow through the people and, and that God would use him as a special messenger and that God would always provide for his needs with his presence, with his provision, and with all of his physical needs met, that these would be the blessings. And what God is saying here is, is that, listen, you jokers in the line of Levi, y'all have it all jacked up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some poop on your face and run you out of, out of, the, out of the city, but don't, let, don't think that my covenant will fall, though, because I'm a God of my word. I'm going to get rid of you, if you continue on doing this, but my covenant with Levi still stands. I'm going to see my covenant through, and there will be a priest, a high priest. See where we're going with this? See where we're going with this? Yeah. He said the covenant's not the problem. It's the ones who are walking the covenant out and the ones who are supposed to be standing in the gap, the ones that I have a problem with. 
He says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. Remember what we talked about in Romans chapter 8 about life and peace? Remember, Paul said, who will set me free from this body of death? Praise be to God through Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who is For those who are in Christ, for the law of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Right? It goes on to say, those who set their mind on the things of the Spirit, life and peace. Peace. Life and peace. This is, this is the covenant. This is the promise. This is what God is calling us to. My covenant with Him was one of life and peace. So that covenant with Levi about the, uh, their, the Aaronic high priesthood, the high priestly role of Aaron and Levi that would come through this lineage, right, this, this promise, this covenant would be one that God would make provision for his people and that their life would be one of life and peace. And remember, with Levi it was that you don't need the, you don't need the specifics of the land. You don't need material things to have this, which is a beautiful promise. Because God, now I'm not saying that he's going to withhold physical things. I believe God blesses in, in, in enormous ways, in broad ways. But what he's saying here is, is that with Levi, it, the promise wasn't for physical things. It wasn't for a physical land because he didn't have a portion of the land as, in his, as, it is, as his inheritance. But his covenant was one of life and peace without the material things like land because what did he have? God's presence would bring life and peace and the, the trust that he would have to have that God would provide for his every need, that that would actually bring life and peace. Now, how backwards is that from, from what we teach in many of our churches, especially this horrible, wicked uh, prosperity gospel that you have, that God doesn't love you if you're not rich, that God doesn't love you if you're sick, that you don't have any faith if you're having hard times. That's a wicked doctrine of devils. No, oftentimes God allows you to go through sickness. God allows you to go through hard times. God allows you to go through times where you don't have what you need in order to bring trust out of you. We know from James, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter all these trials and tribulations because you know it produces perseverance and steadfastness. It produces faith. And that oftentimes this is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. So this blows that whole uh, prosperity gospel out of the water, the word of faith movement. Don't listen, to, don't listen to any of that. And some of you are like, well, I like Joel Osteen. You need to go and listen to his theology. Listen if he ever has theology, okay? But go and, go and listen to that. And I don't mind standing up here and pointing out a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't mind doing that, okay? So you, you, you take it from me that you don't need to be listening to that. You don't need to be listening to Copeland. You don't need to be listening to Jake's. You don't need to be listening to Creflo Dollar. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not preaching the Bible. I don't mind at all standing up here and tell you that. And there's lots of other ones. Ask me later. We'll talk. I ain't got time right now. But he says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave it to him, uh, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared, uh, and he feared me. It, isn't that crazy? You're like, hold on a second. Fear is a good thing? Absolutely it is. Because when you don't understand the fact that you need to fear the Lord, it can only mean that you think that you're God over him. Because only a God greater than God would not fear God. If you have no fear of God, it can only mean one thing. You think you're more powerful than God. When we live in absolute adoration, awe, and understanding of who God is, absolutely we live in fear. Absolutely we live in fear. If nothing else, fear that, that we would not be in his good graces. Fear that, that we would abandon him because we have too much 
longing for our own fleshly appetites, fear that we would lose His presence and grieve the Holy Spirit. We understand how powerful God is, and so we don't want to do anything to jeopardize our relationship with Him. Well, let's move on. I want to get through more today. It says the true instruction, so we have these putrid priests, okay, and we have them uh, having this great call and this wonderful covenant, but they're operating outside of it. How are they operating outside of it? Well, watch this in verse uh, 6. True instruction was in his mouth, speaking about um, the one who the covenant was given to. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. So let's look at a positive first. So we're saying the one who walks out this role, the high priestly role, in a good way and walking in my presence and walking in a way that is, that is pleasing to me is speaking the word of God, is teaching the instruction of God, is uh, not only is his way upright and pure and clean and he's living upright before the Lord, but he also leads others to live the exact same way. He, he brings others into fellowship with God. He teaches them the word of God. He leads them. He advises them. He corrects them when they need correcting. He's willing to be corrected. He's bringing about the change that God desires to see through good, faithful correction and instruction. He, he is turning people away from his iniquity. Very simple question here. When you interact with people, does your interaction with people cause them to be less godly or more godly? That's pretty straightforward. When you interact with people, does your interaction with them cause them to be less godly or more godly? This would be a good litmus test to see whether or not you are walking in these principles of found here in Malachi. Well, that's what it says the faithful priest does, not the putrid priest. It says in verse 7, for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge. It should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You, you get the picture there? That he's guarding knowledge. He's standing at the door. That he's making sure that the truth of God's word is being proclaimed, and it's not being, that it's not being uh, compromised. It's not being slanted. It's not being thrown aside, but it's being guarded. So many in our churches today, and remember, we're talking about the priests. We're about to bring it home in just a second to talk about the fact that you are called to be priests too. you not called to be. You are through Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, then he has made you a royal priesthood. You are priests. So these principles absolutely apply to you. But even, even in our churches, even some of the pastors, you have no idea. And I, it might seem like I talk about this a lot, but... You have no idea how often I interact with pastors on a daily basis. And, and they have no desire for doctrine. They have no desire for theology. Yes, they do read the Bible some, but it's all on a surface level. It's all on a practice. It's all surface. And I think I, I understand the need for practical application of the text. And I, and I long for that too. I strive for that too. I, I try to work hard for that. But tell me, how in the world can you, can you have right biblical application if you've not studied what the Bible is actually teaching to apply? I just don't understand the lack of desire for theology from the men in our churches who are supposed to be guarding knowledge and guarding truth and instructing people on what the Bible teaches. I had a man come to me the other day, and he had some questions for me about the nature of the soul after death. 
And so we had a long conversation, about 45 minutes to an hour. And it was so sad to me that he said, Brandon, he said, to tell you the truth, I've asked about four or five pastors this. And he said, you're the first one that's even tried to give me an answer. He said, as a matter of fact, he said a couple of them told me they'd get back to me, and they never did. And a couple of them told me, said, that's just a can of worms you're opening there. And I'm like, what? I don't understand. Now, that's not all pastors. If maybe you're visiting here today, and this isn't your home church, and you have a home church, and maybe your pastor teaches the Bible. And if that's the case, you better be thankful because there's not many of them around anymore. Even the ones that's talking about, I just preach the Bible. Does he actually? Watch and see. Does he go through the Bible? Does he actually teach the Bible? Or does he just read a verse and just talk for a little while? You need to find you a, a home church that actually teaches the Bible. Well, listen to what it says. It says that he is, it says here, for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. And for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So he is the messenger. Now, I want to show you real quick before we move into verse 8, because there's going to be a transition into the negative aspect of these putrid trees, putrid priests. I want you to look at uh, verses, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Turn over there with me real quick. Hebrews, or you can put it up here, Hebrews 13, 7. <coughs> I want to show you how important this role is as well in the New Testament for your leaders being good, solid, biblical leaders. They're not going to be perfect men, but they're going to be good, solid, biblical leaders. Look at Hebrews 13, 7. It says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> what a verse to pair with Malachi chapter 2. It says, if, you, if you've got a pastor who is not one of the putrid priests of Malachi chapter 2, then you need to make sure that you are remembering them. And this term here is that you remember them, that you think of them. And I think this can be applied in many different ways, that you uh, pray for them, that you uh, love on them, that you encourage them, that you uh, make sure that you're taking care of them. I think that taking care of their family. In other words, if you've got a pastor who's actually preaching and teaching the Bible, and this is a little weird because I'm, a pastor and I hope I preach and teach the Bible but if you've got a pastor who preaches and teaches the Bible then you've got something that a lot of people do not have and you need to make sure that you honoring him and love on him and let him know and that is kind of weird because it's like I'm telling y'all to do that to me if I'm doing this so that's kind of hard to preach but it's in here so I got to hit it I will say this on a personal note though I do try my best to be faithful to the text and I try to preach the Bible Word for word, you know, we, we try to do that. I think that, I hope that's obvious to you. But I will say this, and, you know, it won't work today because I told you to today. But uh, w as we move along, there are some of you uh, from time to time, some of you do it quite often, but there are some of you uh, that you'll send me a message on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday or a Tuesday, and you'll say something like, man, the Word of God affected me in this way uh, through your preaching on Sunday and, that in, and you do it in such a way that it's not a bolster to me uh, everything I do I do in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ um, you know Star and I were talking the other day and uh, about some things and, and some overcoming that she's done and, and I'm overcoming and I'm trying and, and you're overcoming about what we speak out of from what foundation we speak out of and I'm going to tell you right now if I, if, I, if I didn't come and preach in the, in the pulpit 
every week that I had a sin and I wasn't worthy to get up here, then you'd just have to find another pastor, right? Because I've got my own issues I'm dealing with, and so I'm fighting to do that whole thing too and to, and to preach the Word of God. But when, when, when God made a change in my life, it's all by God's power. And so when you go out into the community, when you're preaching the gospel, when you're you know, witnessing to someone at work, don't let the fact that, um, you know, that you're battling through the flesh too, don't let it knock you down and keep you from sharing your faith because that's all glory to God. But when I get those messages, those are very, very encouraging. So let's put the focus on somebody else. I know that when the pastor across the street, maybe your mom's pastor, your brother's pastor, whatever, share what you've learned today with them because those pastors, I've got a leg up on a lot of the pastors around here because a lot of the pastors around here are not elder-led churches, which is unbiblical. A congregationally-led church with one single pastor is not done according to biblical standards. Now, I'm not knocking anybody. Some people came into that congregation, that church like that, and there's really hardly anything that they can do about it, and they're just ministering the best that they can right now. But that's not the New Testament model of a church, and for good reason. I'm chasing this rabbit, but I want to say this. Is that here, I have four other men that carry the load with me, with Christ as our chief shepherd, our senior pastor, right? So they carry that load with me. They encourage me. I encourage them. We're a team, okay? Paul establishes a plurality of elders, meaning multiple pastors, in every church. He says that in Titus. He says that this is why I sent you to Crete, so that you could establish elders, plural, in every church. Well, those churches that don't have a plurality of elders, then they have to carry a ton of weight on their own. So if you know a pastor, maybe it was the church that you came from. I promise you it won't upset me if I find out that you you messaged your previous pastor. If he was a good Bible preaching pastor, maybe you came here for some other reason or you moved. Message that man and encourage him. Love on him. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your brothers. Tell your sister to go to another church. Tell them to send their pastor a message because it's so encouraging to honor them and it helps them. I promise you that. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is primarily, I think, the majority would be single pastor-led churches, has an extremely high suicide rate because a man was not made to carry that weight on his own. Anyway, that's pretty no extra charge. That was about 15 minutes I didn't have, but I think that uh, it, it was worth it. So anyway, we see in the New Testament as well, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, that uh, you should honor those men who preach and teach the Word of God. Well, let's look at James. James is another one on the flip side of it. So the people should really honor a pastor who they feel like is preaching and teaching the Word of God accurately, the best of his ability, and really does actually love the Lord. Well, watch when it's turned, and what about the man of God? So uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, shows the importance of actually doing what you said you're going to do it says not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body so what he's saying there is is that those of you who are going to stand up in front of people whether it be a classroom whether it be on this stage you better be careful so from your perspective looking up here Let's say looking at him, okay, because it's weird. When you're, looking at the, the, when you're looking at the preacher, and he's a man of God, you know, he's not perfect, but he's a man of God. He's seeking to, to chase the Lord and to love the Lord, and he preaches and teaches the Bible, and he lays out the Word of God for you, and he's got a text for his points. 
then honor that guy. Lift him up. Let him know that you love him. Take care of him. Take care of his family. A workman is worthy of his wages. You know, do, do things that nobody else sees. You don't have to make a big spectacle of him. Don't build his head up, but take care of him. But from here looking down, you better watch out, son, because you shouldn't be so quick to take on that label if you're not willing to walk it and talk it because I could just be putting on a pretty good show, right? I could be, I could be uh, in sin behind the scenes and hiding it from somebody and, and living this life over here, and, man, just it's piling up on me. And that's a scary thought, right? I have to watch my own self. So not many should presume to be preachers and teachers because it carries with it a greater judgment. That goes along with anybody that would teach and uh, minister in Sunday school classes and things like that too. So this, this connects with us in the New Testament in many different ways, uh, but uh, not the least of which is the fact that we need to make sure that the leaders in the places are preaching and teaching God's Word and not just their opinion, and they're not just getting rich off the people. Well, let's look at one more New Testament passage, and then we need to move on from here. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, I still got a lot of time, like an hour. Uh, look at First Peter with me. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. What is it? Y'all all right? <laughs> First Peter chapter three. <clears throat> no, it's actually First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his mar marvelous light who's he talking to the people the church he's talking to you he's talking to me that we are the royal priesthood that we've been given a message but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you see how this all fits nice and neat in the Levitical covenant into Malachi chapter 2? He's saying that what you need to understand, and, and when Levi got God as his possession, remember that. So there's this whole big, I mean, we don't have time, but there's this whole big teaching and themes running throughout the scripture of, the, of Israel possessing the land. But when it came to Levi, they didn't possess any tract of land. What did they possess? God was their possession. And that they would become God's possession. Now it can rightly be said that God possesses all things, right? He's the creator. But that when, when you possess God, God possesses you. When, you. when God belongs to you, you belong to God, that you possess one another. And look what it says there of people for his own possession is that you belong to God and God belongs to you and that you are one with him and you have become the royal priesthood you have been the proclaimer become the proclaimers of God's word see it's not just me standing up here preaching downhill but it's us getting into God's word edifying one another really actually learning what God's word teaches so that we might properly apply it in the context that we are in 
So you actually need to know how the gospel works. You, need, you actually need to know what penal substitutionary atonement is. You're like, I don't like big words. Get over it. You need to understand how Jesus Christ actually pays for our sins. Why is Jesus the only one that can offer salvation? Is that even true? What is the Trinity? Is, is, you know, is, is Muhammad, does he actually serve God? Is that the same God? We need to learn because you are royal priesthood. You've been given and charged with the task of preaching and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're not to just come in here and sit and listen to me. The only reason you come in here and sit and listen to me is that I've been called to help equip you for the work of the ministry. I've only been held, I've only just one small part. And I'm not, and Kidwell's not the ones who are primarily responsible for teaching and leading your children. That's your job. You need to discipline your kids. Some of them crazy, right? You need to teach your children the word of the living God. You need to be able to understand the word so that you can teach them the word and pray alongside of them. Ask, pray the Holy Spirit over them, right? When my kids go crazy, you know what I do? I learned this uh, technique, and it, I, it's obvious from God's word, but I'm a stupid man. I heard this other guy talking about it. I was like, that makes sense. Why have I not? I, I started doing this years ago, but Titus is a little older. Then I started praying specifically for the, so like when my kids get in trouble and they're doing something they shouldn't do, I can just tear that tail up, and I will, you know. But if you do that without the really good biblical instruction and, and help them to understand why it happened, then it's just you spanking or hitting a child, and that's wrong. That's terrible, right? You need to be able to explain, and the punishment needs to fit the crime, and the discipline needs to be instructional. But not only that, that's not even what I was talking about. I've always tried to do that. But this key point, is there any spiritual aspect to it? So my kids don't even know I do this. But when, I, when they get in trouble and they're, they're outside of the bounds of how they need to be acting, they may get a spanking. They may get time out. They may get discipline, whatever. But when I'm praying for them, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit would convict their heart about what they've done so that they would be able to see how it is outside of God's word and that the Holy Spirit would make internal changes that I can't make from the exterior, right? Now, I believe that we need to go to war for our families, right? And that you can spank your kid all day long, but if you're not praying for them and the Holy Spirit to guard them, and you're just, you're just mean at that point, right? You're just angry. And watch this. So the whole world thinks that you should never touch a child. That's child abuse, right? Well, why, why do they think that? I think oftentimes it's because we're not bringing honor to God's name among the nations because we don't do what God's called us to do with a biblical heart and biblical motive. So so-called Christians always talking about spanking or wearing a kid out or switches. My grandma used switches, boy. Oh, God. And she knew how to pick them. But if you're just wearing a kid out because you're upset at what he's doing and you're angry at what he's doing, well, then the culture's right. You're just beating on that kid, and that's abuse. But if you are 
methodically thinking about how to discipline and bring about correction and steer them into God's word to bring them in line with who God is and training them up in the way that they should go actively praying and speaking the word of God into their lives and you lay out for them what they did wrong you lay out the scripture of why they did it wrong you lay out what they should have done you discipline them whatever type of discipline that is and then you are praying that God would reveal to them the Holy Spirit now I don't do it that way all the time either Sometimes I, I've had to apologize. My, two of my kids are sitting right there. They can tell you right now. I've had to go and ask my kids for forgiveness because I've, re, I've reacted instead of responding. Ha, ain't it, boys? Yeah. <laughs> but on the other end of it, we've had some really good moments of discipline where I'll talk to Ezekiel, Titus, either one of them, and I'll had spanked them, and they don't like it. You know, there'll be tears. But I'll have a conversation with them afterwards. And I'll be like, you understand why I had to spank you? And they'll, they'll say, yes, sir, I do actually understand. And I believe them. And they actually show signs of remorse. And all the time I'm praying in my heart, please, God, reveal to them through the Holy Spirit. Convict their hearts. Because I don't just, I hate spanking my kids. I really do. They think I enjoy it probably. <laughs> but I literally hate it. Like, I hate it with a passion. I love my kids. I don't want to bring physical pain to their body i hate it but i do it because i feel it's necessary for their souls for their being for our country our country needs a good spanking right <laughs> amen amen i had three points i'm almost done with one that's okay though i knew it was gonna be like this well Let's look at, let's go back to, uh, so we talked about the royal priest. Let's go back to Malachi and let's look at chapter 2 again. So we have this putrid priest, but it's going to move from what, you know, this good positive example into what we've been looking at, this negative example. Let's read that in verse 8. It says, uh, he says, you know, he says, Levi did this, 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 and this, true instruction, turning people from iniquity, and so on and so forth. And then he says in verse 8, but you have turned aside from my way. Well, I want you to watch what happens. So you have turned aside from my way. So personal unholiness, unrighteousness, personal uh, love of the world, personal love of money. And, and you need to understand that the mother of all sin is pride, but the love of money leads to all kinds of evil too. So why do you think that it were that why do you think it was the case? And there could be many reasons, but I think the text would bear some of this out. Why do you think it was the case that they were bringing lame sacrifices? So here's the picture that was already painted in, in chapter one. They have a command to bring the best sacrifice because the Lord deserves the best. They were bringing lame and blind sacrifices because they didn't really love the Lord and they were just doing the bare minimum to get by which disgusted the Lord and he's like somebody shut the front door already right don't let these jokers in right we talked about that already well why do you think that part of the motive was that they were bringing lame sacrifices greed why they wanted the best for themselves whether it was the best cut of meat, which would have saved them money, or whether they were going to sell that at the market, whatever they were going to do with it, it was the love of money, the love of self, which is underneath the love of money. See, why pride is the mother of all sins is because even the love of money, in my opinion, pride is up under that. Because when you love money, you just love money because it does good things for yourself. 
So you're loving yourself. So if, you, if you're withholding from God because you love money, it's really because you love yourself and you want the money for you. You think you deserve the money more than God de- deserves the money because you're better than God, right? And that's just getting up under it. You might not like that, but it's the truth, and we all have to deal with it, right? I have to test my heart, too. And so it, the first thing was is that you were wayward, right? He's looking at the priest, and he says, you were wayward. And then he says, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. So he says, you were wayward, and because you were wayward, your instruction is wayward. And because your instruction is wayward, then the people are going astray. You are corrupt. Your teaching is corrupt, and because these are true, your people are corrupt. Now, this is leveled against the priesthood, the, the, the people coming through the Levitical line of priests in this day. But it's absolutely impacting our day. I have to deal with this on a daily level with my own heart. I'm supposed to lead my wife. I'm supposed to lead my children. I'm supposed to lead the church. I'm supposed to do all these things. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when my own personal devotion gets off, then my, I, I can't teach properly. I can't preach properly. And yours is the exact same way. Now, let me make this applicable to you because I don't want it to be just like a, from a preacher's perspective, which it is really applicable to the preacher. But it's applicable to you, too. And let me go even a step further. The men are the leaders of the home, spiritual leaders of the home. You are the head of the wife. That's Bible. Sorry if you don't like that. The, the Christ is the head of the man. Man is the head of the woman. That's what the Bible says. But let me talk to the women, okay? Because the women are the head of the children, okay? And what happens is, so that you'll know this is applicable across the board. Let me show you ladies, because I focus on the men probably too much. Let me show you ladies how this is applicable to you. If, if your own walk, so here he's talking to the priests in the, in the Levitical priesthood, and he says that you are off, your teaching is off, and so your people are off, right? Now, I could do this to men in the home pastors whatever but let's talk to the ladies ladies if if you are not spending personal time with the lord okay and your devotion to the lord isn't what it needs to be you're not spending time in prayer you're not spending time in the word of god you're not spending personal time in worship so your your heart is postured towards god right that you're not feeling fulfilled in God. See, the more time you spend in God, the more fulfilled you are in God. And the more fulfilled you are in God, the more full your life is. The more full your life is, the more peace you have and the less unrest you have because you don't need anything. Are you following me, what I'm saying so far? If you're fulfilled in Christ, you're full of life, therefore you have peace, because there's nothing that you really need, then you can set aside your need to manipulate other people. And don't hear me saying that and turn up your nose because we all manipulate people to get from other people. Then you don't have the need to manipulate other people to fulfill your needs because all of your needs are met in Christ. When you do that, you take all of your attention off the perceived need to fulfill your needs, internal, me, 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 me. All of those needs are met in Christ, so you can turn your attention external to pour out to those around you and give. Okay? 
This exact same principle applies in the pulpit, the man of the house, the woman of the house, teacher in a classroom, boss at work, name it. Any form of leadership, this is crucial. You cannot pour out what's not been filled up. Ladies and, and men, you hear this too, just in another, whatever. If you want to be able to teach your children, love your children, discipline your children, then you need to be filled up full of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know his word so that you can clearly instruct and your instruction and your teaching will go forth without hindrance because the people around you, will it will be clear to them. And it is, I promise. It will be clear to them that you're not manipulating them for your own personal gain, but you're instructing them and loving them for their godliness and for their uplifting, right? And, and don't, that's a tough teaching in our culture because you might turn your nose up and say, why does he talk to the women like that? But this is glorious for the ladies. You see, men are worthless without women. They really are. And women are worthless without men. You say, you shouldn't have said that, preacher. But I say that for this. Now, we can do a whole conversation on the biblical beauty of singleness. I'm not talking about single women or single men. That's not applied here. That's, let's set that to the side. What I'm talking about is parents, okay, in a biblical marriage. When two become one flesh, if the woman is not in love with the Lord Jesus, she's going to ruin her man and she's worthless. If a man's not in love with Jesus, he's going to ruin his woman and, and he's worthless. Does this make any sense? Okay. Now, being a biblical man who's single and running with his hair in the wind for the glory of God, that's fine. There's, there's much beauty to that, right? W females too. You can be single and glorify God and powerful in the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in relationship. And then the way that we got here is because we're talking about leadership. Remember, in, and I'm way off, way off in some la-la land, but that's okay. We're going to keep going. Remember in the garden how God made Adam, and he said it's not good for man to be alone, for I will, so I will, I will fabricate for him, I will make for him woman. Well, remember when God did that and he created Adam and Eve, he created them male and female to, to rule over, subdue, and to multiply in the earth and to have authority over the earth. That the leadership, now, you know, my patriarchal friends aren't going to like this. Egalitarians already hate me. The creative order design is that the husband and the wife would lead as a team. So when I say the man is the head of the house, I'm not saying that the, that the wife is not a leader in the home. Clarification is key. The wife's leadership is absolutely crucial in the home. The only difference is the role of the leadership. The two shall become one, and the two together as one will lead the home. The man has a role. The woman has a role. Completely equal in worth and value, but together they lead. You say, how did you start talking about marriage in Malachi? Because it's the same problem with the priests. Their, their desire for the flesh and for money and for the, their own needs to be met, their own whatever, has caused them to not be able to do the leadership function that they've been called to do. And so they are wayward in themselves. 
their instruction is horrible, and they're leading people astray because they are too concerned and consumed with meeting their own fleshly desires instead of making sure that the family is running, uh, the temple is running like it should. I guess I got the family on my brain. But this is the last thing I'll say on that, and I'll move on. You show me a family where the husband is absolutely in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's filled up full as a sponge could possibly be, and there's nothing else that he needs, so he's not manipulating his wife to, to make her do this. He's not manipulating his kids to make them do that. He's not manipulating here. He's completely fulfilled. He, he, in his heart, he feels like there's nothing else that he needs. And so since he doesn't need anything else, he's not looking around going, hmm, who can, who can I take from today? He's going, hmm, who can I love on and give to today? You show me that man, and you show me his wife who loves the Lord, who is in the Word of God on a daily basis or continual basis. She's continually praying and offering up prayers for the saints. She's continually praying over the children and loving the children. She's, she's happy and blessed and fulfilled in the Lord. She appreciates her life. She's like a sponge that's been filled up that can hold no more water. What happens to a sponge when you fill it up so much it can hold no more? When you pull it out of the bucket, what does it do? It just runs out everywhere, right? You show me that man who's filled up so full that he's just oh, blessed. I'm so blessed. I need to bless somebody, right? You'd be like Cleaver Beaver, right? Like we need beaver yeah <laughs> whatever you say cleaver i say beaver beaver cleaver we need beaver cleaver christians right christians that are so filled up full of the love of jesus christ that they're like running over ooey gooey just like get away from me right you show me the man that's so filled up that he you he can't like if you touch a sponge right just the pressure of the sponge hitting your hand, it just makes water run out of it, right? That's the best evangelism that you're going to find. Evangelizing his wife, evangelizing his kids, evangelizing his neighbor, like everybody hates the guy, right? Because the light has come into the world and the darkness has hated it. Why are we persecuted in Jesus' name? Too much light, bro. Get out of here. i got things I need to do in the dark. You show me that wife, you show me that husband, and I'll show you a blessed home. And I'll show you people who interact better together. Me and my wife need to work on this. You and your wife need to work on this. But if you work on you, and he works on him, or she works on her, and you get your stuff right with Christ, seek first the kingdom of seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? It'll be so good, and you you'll have better conversations. You'll have better sex. You'll have better parenting techniques. You'll better you'll have better drives right your wife won't be telling you uh, slow down speed up speed up slow down you're getting too close to the white line watch the yellow line right <laughs> my wife will never do that but i bet yours does right well but you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction you have corrupted the covenant of levi says the lord of hosts and so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Partiality in your instruction. This, uh, if you guys want to start to head this way, this, this is where I'll finish it up. Partiality in your instruction. Why would this be a part of this teaching? 
Well, I want you to think about this. Go back to, the, to what I was talking about, about the ladies being filled up full of the Lord, right? And they're accurate in their teaching as they're talking to the kids and interacting with their husbands. Hey, wives can offer interaction teaching with their husbands as much as a, a husband can with a wife. The role's a little bit different. But what a wonderful blessing it is to go back and forth with your wife on theology if you have a wife that's in, into the Word of God, which all wives should be in the Word of God if they're believers. But I want you to watch how the, the negative will affect. Okay, you ready? Really? Ready? If you're not filled up full of the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word so that it's running out of you, and you're not having clear instruction, and, and you don't know the Word of God, or you're not quick keeping yourself pure, what happens is, is that you're always showing partiality because you feel as if you can't correct where you are failing. And even if you do, then it's hypocritical. So oftentimes, you'll be overly harsh on that sin, or you won't say anything at all on it. And so I wonder how many of the priests were not instructing correctly because they didn't feel comfortable instruct, instructing the people to do what they weren't willing to do. Or, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, were being overly harsh, and they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they looked real good, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. You see how it compromises the, the ability to, to instruct it compromises the ability to bring about real godliness, to turn people from their iniquity. But on the other side of that, if you're in love with Christ and you're filled up full and you're, you're in tune with the Lord, you're studying the Scripture, you're praying, you're asking the Holy Spirit to guide your steps, you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you to walk in Him, then heck, you don't have to use even many words. I don't really like that whole thing, use words when needed, because I think words are super important. But I get the concept. When you are living in step with the Lord and you're walking in the Holy Spirit, people will come to you and ask you about instruction. They'll ask you about knowledge. They'll ask you about how to overcome this. They'll watch your life. They'll take keys, and you won't even have to use words, and you'll be convicting people. That's why people hate you. So they'll either hate you or they'll fall in line because you're a living testimony to the Word of the living God. That goes back to chapter 1 where it talks about the way you're interacting with me the nations despise me because they can't see the true power of the Word of God. But when you're operating in the Word of God, it makes the people look and say, God is so good. Tell me all about it. As we stand to our feet, none of this is possible apart from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've talked a little bit about this is to the priests. Remember that, that section of this sermon where I said that God's not saying that the Levitical covenant was bad. What he was saying is, is that you're bad. And the covenant I made with Levi is going to stand even though you're this way. And I'm going to run you out of town, but I'm going to make sure that this covenant is adhered to and it's fulfilled. Because I will establish in chapter 3, and as we get toward, toward chapter 3, so beautiful. He says, Behold, my messenger is at hand he is coming now the messenger you'll see is John the Baptist and Jesus Christ is the one who is coming but from our perspective he has come 
And whereas they failed and they couldn't live up to the expectations of God because of the wickedness of their flesh and the desires of their flesh and the desires of their heart, Christ came and he did what they couldn't do. In Hebrews chapter 4, we understand that Jesus Christ is the high priest. That Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest who lives forevermore to make intercession for the saints. Jesus Christ is the one who offered the perfect sacrifice. He was the priest who offered himself. The perfect priest that offered the perfect sacrifice to allow you to have perfect righteousness through the perfect blood of the perfect son who perfectly poured out on you through faith. And that's not even of yourself or the gift of God, lest any of you should boast. God knew you couldn't do it, so he did it. Now it's done. God is so good to us. God is so good to us. He fills up all the empty places so that you don't need. Let me ask you this. Do you find that you use the people around you? And maybe you don't even want to inside. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who will set me free from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. Maybe you live in your life and you just can't help it. You just keep feeding off of people. You just keep hurting people. You just keep leading people astray. You're not a man of God. You're not a good man. You're not a good woman. You're always just in a miserable mood. You're always just nobody can make you happy. Nobody, you know, never any joy. Just angry all the time. Never enough. Got to have more, 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 more. Just mad, just angry. Unforgiving. Overcritical. Just never satisfied. But in your heart, you don't want to be that way. Who wants to be that way? I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the high priest who come that we might be able to enter into the heavenly places. That we might have, as Hebrews says, rest. Life and peace forevermore. No more having to use the people around you, but being filled up full like the woman at the well. Filled up so full. That's what he told her. He said, Woman, if you'd have known who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him for water, and he would have given you a drink that would have created a fountain of water that, that would well up in you and overflow in, in a, a, a well of eternal life. And that, that peace, that long fulfilled longing, that fullness is like that sponge that you can't hold it all overwhelming you in every aspect of your being no more running out to the bar because you need that fulfilling no more looking for the drugs because you need that high Jesus is your high no more no more needing to buy just for the sake of feeling fulfilled no more needing to go and do the hobbies just because you want to buy you want to do hobbies that's fine as long as you're not looking to be fulfilled by those, they won't do it. You know, it'll make your life miserable. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. If you've never done business with Christ, do business with Christ today. Maybe you've forgotten and just needed to be reminded. Give Him praise, honor, and glory to Him. Today is your day. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the days of old. But come and bow down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ.
and find out what it means to be a godly mom, a godly, a godly dad, a godly child, a godly young man, a godly young woman, and actually be fulfilled. Come and do business with God.